You are listening to the Life Church podcast. To learn more about Life Church, our gathering times at any of our central Indiana locations, or our Life Crew online, visit us at lifechurchin.com or follow the link in the description. Today's talk is from Pastor Mike Melito. Chapter 15 today. And um, again, we are in that, that, that difficult season of David's life after he really blew it with Bathsheba and everything's just kind of descended from there. Um, and, and I would encourage you, just because of the tone and the content of these passages, if you haven't heard any of the other messages leading up to this, I'd encourage you to go on the website lifechurchin.com or in the app um, and listen to a few to kind of get a little bit more of the backstory because I don't have all the time in the world to review it. But suffice to say, David has just had this string of really poor choices, starting with what he did with Bathsheba and then just not doing a great job as a father, right? And um, his, his uh, daughter gets raped by his son and his other son, who's um, his daughter's full-blood brother, sees David do nothing about it. And a couple weeks ago, I, I preached a message and I called it the origin story of a villain. And of course, Amnon was a villain in that story, but really what we were seeing was the beginning of Absalom becoming the villain that we're seeing him become now. Because you always hear that tragic story of a villain, you know, in a movie or in a book, that at least whether or not you agree with that that person's a villain, at least there's a little bit of you that can sympathize with how they got to where they're being. And, and I'm going to be really transparent today and say, I really have a hard time with the way the Bible presents Absalom to us because I feel, and I, my first reaction to what we see here is Absalom is 100% justified in what he's doing. Just being honest with you. Most, most scholars and most teachers and preachers um, may or may not feel that way, but they don't say that. They just talk about how horrible Absalom is and manipulative he is and, and the Absalom spirit, and those are all real things. But I like to be really transparent with you when I see something in the Bible that I don't like. I, I'm going to tell you I don't like this. <laughs> And I see that with Absalom, and I, I, I tell that origin of story of a villain because as we see what even like what happened last week, um, it just, again, it feels justified to me. Pastor Kathy was here last week, and you know, Absalom was basically banished for years, and then until finally Joab had to kind of convince David in a sideways kind of way to bring Absalom home. And David brings Absalom home, but then alienates him, won't see him for years. So I'm, you know, I'm here going, this is, this is just terrible. Absalom was upset that David didn't do anything to defend his sister, David's wife, uh, daughter. So he commits justice. He kills Amnon, which was the law at the time. And he gets banished for that. And then when he returns, David won't look at him. Like, to me, the more I, I look at this and dissect this, I'm like, this is, D David is creating this problem. And I believe that's true, by the way. 100% David is creating this problem because he's the one responsible for this, all right? 
And in our families, the leaders of our families, uh, men in our families, uh, women, you know, if you're a single mom, but women and men together, leading families, it's our responsibility for the atmosphere in our home. And what we're seeing with David is what not to do. And we see it all, all over, especially coming up to this time with the holidays. Pastor Nathan, when he preached this passage, he talked about the alienation that families have, have with one another. I encourage you to go find that message because that's what was happening. And that alienation, that, those separations we have in our family don't do anything to help. And David's doing this. And I look at that and I go, Absalom's justified. So last week, Pastor Kathy talks about this and says, in the passage, it says, Absalom called for Joab because Absalom wanted to meet with his dad. And Joab ignored him twice or three times. Too, too many times. So Absalom says to one of his servants, hey, see that field of barley over there that belongs to Joab? Burn it. <laughs> Get this man's attention. Now, that's drastic, and you can make the case that he's having a... Um, you know, he, he's throwing a fit and losing his temper. But again, I'm just being really transparent with you, I'm like, all the man wants is an audience with his father. Like, dude, <laughs> right? And so he, Joab comes over and he's like, you burn on my barley. What's up, dude? What's your problem? Or well, now I have your attention. And so finally he gets to meet with his dad. And we have this moment that looks like a tender moment, and it looks like, oh, everything is, is, is good now. He finally gets this, but it's really not that tender a moment. Absalom comes and pays homage to David. He, he bows. David kisses Absalom, reuniting a father and son, and yet, like David's first victory after Bathsheba, this was hollow there was it was it was surface level it was arguably on absalom's part a hundred percent fake and maybe on david's part too right bible teaches us by the way love must be sincere so when you you know i'm talking about alienation and you if the holy spirit's working on you to reconnect with family make sure when you reconnect with family that you you're sincere Okay, you're not just going through motions. That's a little extra. But that brings us to 2 Samuel chapter 15. Just after this, in verse 1, Absalom got himself a chariot, horses, and 50 men to run before him. And I, I, I want to stop there. My difficulty again with Absalom is I really sympathize, I relate with him, and that struggle you're going to hear me talk about that a lot in this passage to be upfront with you because I believe when we're honest with ourselves and we're honest with God in his word while we read it, that honesty opens the door for the Holy Spirit to show us things that we didn't understand about ourselves, really. If, if we go through and read scripture and just, yeah, you know, uh, and just kind of go along with that without engaging it, that we're not going to get everything out of it. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, for the word of God is living and effective and sharper than any double-edged sword, penetrating as far as the separation of soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It's able to judge the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. 
And when we're honest with God about his word, and I'm gonna show you how this happened to me with this specific uh, instance, then he will divide as far as the spirit is from the soul, and he will show you what's wrong with you. (laughs) Because if I have an issue with something God's saying, it's not God that's wrong. Right? It's something in me that's wrong. So honestly, I have a hard time calling Absalom a villain. But this verse begins to uncover the underlying problem. Absalom has no place riding in on chariots and horses. He's supposed to be riding on a donkey. That's his place. So pride now is causing him to take a place that's not his. By contrast, David, before he was king, he would never have done this. He didn't do this. I will not touch the Lord's anointed, remember? And we're gonna see that contrast. Verse two, he would get up early, Absalom, and stand beside the road leading to the city gate. Whenever anyone had a grievance to bring before the, uh, before the king for settlement, Absalom called out and asked him, what city are you from? If he replied, your servant is from one of the tribes of Israel, Absalom said to him, look, your claims are good and right, but the king doesn't have anyone to listen to you. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't want to upset anybody, but what you're looking at right there is like politics encapsulated, right? Say what you want to about that, but he's illustrating what an expert politician does. On both sides, look. Look at me. I would do what's right. The current leadership isn't listening and doesn't care, but I do. <laughs> and that, by the way, that's not a commentary on the character of current political leaders, okay? So don't, don't get upset with me about that. It's on either side. That's just the way it is. Sometimes the issues of the day and the leadership of the day make that necessary. And we can have a conversation about today's leadership and say, oh, we need to change on all sides. But this is what he's doing is what politicians do and he's doing it the way we don't want to see politicians doing it because his motives are not in the right place right today all someone in politics has to do is stand out to stand out to me is have character (laughs) right have character and stand for truth not play along with false narratives to gain a voting base that stands out to me right but Absalom isn't doing that for really altruistic reasons. He's, he's acting upon what's happened to him, but then he's making it everybody else's issue. But that's where I really struggle because I think Absalom had a case. Anybody else? I think he had a, had a good case for injustice. And in his mind, perhaps he was thinking There's lots of people. If this happened to me, the king's own son, how many other people is this happening to? I'm going to do something about this. I'm going to stand at the city gate, and I'm going to find out how many other people are having these issues, and i got to do something about this. I mean, you could, I could really see how in his mind this is 100% justified. Is anybody with me on this? Right? And yet there's something not right. Verse four, he added, 
If only someone would appoint me judge in the land, then anyone who had a grievance or dispute would come to me, and I would make sure he received justice. When a person approached to pay homage to him, Absalom reached out his hand, took hold of him, and kissed him. And Absalom did this to all the Israelites who came to the king for a settlement. So Absalom stole the hearts of the men of Israel. He's still politicking here, right? If someone would put me in charge, then I could do something to help you. I wish I could help, but I'm not in charge. And Absalom in that, maybe even to himself, he's not actually really being honest, right? He didn't know. He didn't know the circumstances of these people's issues. He didn't ask for the circumstances. He didn't ask to try to carry out an impartial investigation. He didn't even know that he could actually do something even if he was in power. Because if you've learned anything in your life, you get to positions of leadership, and it's not as easy as you think it is to do what you think needs to be done, Right? He didn't know that. He didn't know what he was talking about. But I think he believed in his own lies. Have you ever watched someone become deluded in a false narrative? Just a side note, we're watching it happen around us all the time today. It's tragic. And it stems back to, in a lot of ways, what we're going to see here a victim mentality. And in some ways, today, being a victim is so celebrated that people who are not victims at all have many blessings in their life decide to identify themselves with something or someone or a thing they're not really are so that they can then become victims and get attention. That's happening all around us. And, and, it, and some of you, there might be some things conjuring in your mind. LGBTQ is one of those areas where it's trendy. Even, even people, and, and I'm, I don't want to soiree into this too far, but there are psychologists who are proclaimed homosexual that are saying a lot of these people coming out now, they're not real. Because for them, it's cool. They're getting attention. It's a totally different thing happening. That's not pastors saying that, although I agree with it. Why? Because we then, we, we embrace a narrative and we believe it wholeheartedly. And then to try to reason with someone in that situation, it comes across hateful. Why do you hate me? And, and why am I saying that? Because I think Absalom is getting deluded in his own narrative, and if he had a good friend who would come to him and say, Absalom, what are you doing? In his mind, he might be saying, why are you going to get in my way of trying to get justice here? You're part of the problem. Do you get what I'm saying here? He's becoming deluded in his own victim mentality, and it's then he's creating it in other people and preying on it. You're like, wow, this is getting deep. You, you have to, when you're looking at God's word, you have to really examine these things. Why am I reading this? This is not good. 
Well, let's look at what he's doing and how he's doing it and what we can learn today because today many people can't define themselves without first defining them as being, themselves as being victims and there are plenty of leaders in this world that would like to prey on that and take advantage of that and use that to put them in places of power. That's what Absalom's doing. And when you've convinced yourself in every situation that you're the victim, you've trapped yourself in a life doomed to depend on someone else, anyone else, to make you happy, productive member of society. I can't do it because this person. You know I, I love movies, right? So I, I talk about them a lot. And one of my favorite series of movies is uh, Rocky. Anybody know Rocky? I thought this would be a good point to interject some levity. <laughs> uh, so there are, in total, I believe, six Rocky films. Then we've got some Creed films, right? And we could argue about maybe after Rocky IV, there shouldn't have been any more Rockies. But, <laughs> but in Rocky VI, in the last Rocky movie, there's this monologue that Rocky gives that I feel like was the whole reason the movie was made. If it wasn't for this monologue, the movie would probably just be garbage, to be honest with you. But in the movie, his son, who's now a grown man, is upset. He feels like he's living in his dad's shadow. And he's about to, his dad's about, he's retired. He, you know, he's getting old, and he's about to go fight the champion. And everyone's kind of like, why is he doing this? He's an old guy. And he's going to fight the champion. And his son is really upset about this. He's like, this is going to come back on me. This is going to affect me. Don't you care about me? He's got a victim mentality, right? Well, here, I brought the clip. This is Rocky sets him straight. Let's watch that clip. You know, living with you, it hasn't been easy. People see me, but they think of you. Now with all this going on, this is going to be worse than ever. It don't have to be. No, sure it does. Why? You got a lot going on, kid. Oh, well, my last name? That's the reason I got a decent job. That's the reason why people deal with me in the first place. Now I start to get a little ahead. I start to get a little something for myself, and this happens. Now I'm asking you as a favor not to go through with this, okay? This is only going to end up bad for you, and it's going to end up bad for me. You think I'm hurting you? Yeah, in a way you are. That's the last thing I ever wanted to do. I know that's not what you want to do, but that's just the way that it is. Don't you care what people think? Doesn't it bother you that, that people are making you out to be a joke and that I'm gonna be included in that? Do you think that's right? Do you? You ain't gonna believe this. But you used to fit right here. I'd hold you up and say to your mother, this kid's gonna be the best kid in the world. This kid's gonna be somebody better than anybody ever knew. And you grew up good and wonderful. It was great just watching every day was like a privilege. Then the time come for you to be your own man and take on the world, and you did. But somewhere along the line, you changed. You stopped being you. You let people stick a finger in your face and tell you you're no good. And when things got hard, you started looking for something to blame, like a big shadow. Let me tell you something you already know. The world ain't all sunshine and rainbows. It's a very mean and nasty place, and I don't care how tough you are, it will beat you to your knees and keep you there permanently if you let it. You, me, or nobody is gonna hit as hard as life. But it ain't about how hard you hit. 
It's about how hard you can get hit and keep moving forward. How much you can take and keep moving forward. That's how winning is done. Now, if you know what you're worth, then go out and get what you're worth. But you got to be willing to take the hits and not pointing fingers saying you ain't where you want to be because of him or her or anybody. Cowards do that, and that ain't you. You're better than that. I'm always going to love you no matter what. No matter what happens. You're my son. You're my blood. You're the best thing in my life. But until you start believing in yourself, you ain't gonna have a life. Don't forget to visit your mother. If only... You know, living with you... It's so good, we're gonna watch it twice. <laughs> if only Absalom had a father like Rocky. Right? He's taking on this victim mentality. And in his case, he's blaming it on his dad. But then he's spreading that. And I just don't think he sees it. He doesn't have a dad like Rocky, which is going back to my first point. This is David's fault. But now Absalom is a grown person and is making his own choices, right? And convinced in his own rightness. And we know something's very wrong because it says Absalom stole the hearts of the men of Israel. Kings don't steal. Jesus does not steal our heart. David, suffering all the injustices he suffered under Saul, never would have imagined to put himself in the place of God to say, I've got to do something about this, and I'm going to steal the hearts of Israel. God gave David the heart of Israel because David believed that God was good and that God would give it to him. Absalom doesn't have that same faith. Verse seven, when four years had passed, Absalom said to the king, please let me go to Hebron to fulfill a vow I made to the Lord, for your servant made a vow when I lived in Geshur of Aram, saying, if the Lord really brings me back to Jerusalem, I will worship him in Hebron. Hebron. Some translations say 40 years there, but actually most people agree it's four years, and, and maybe the reason why it says 40 years, if you have a translation that says that, is because it was four very long years, like my four years in college <laughs> felt like 40 years, <laughs> and now I look back on it, and it feels like four days, but anyways, sometimes time just goes by slowly. It's four years, and this request is suspicious, Right? Why now do you want to do this? You left before, you wanted to come back, now you want to leave again to serve the Lord. Again, David does not suspect anything because he's obtuse. He just is at this point, okay? There's so many points in time where you're like, David, do you, you don't see anything suspicious here. He doesn't. Verse 9, he says, go in peace. Go ahead. So he went to Hebron. 
Then Absalom sent angels throughout the tribes of Israel with this message. When you hear the sound of the ram's horn, you are to say, Absalom has become king in Hebron. And this is where for us, it becomes very apparent that Absalom has fully taken on the role of a villain. He's planning a coup. He's got spies planted to spread a lie that would help Absalom claim the throne. He took on the victim mentality. He created the victim mentality in other people. And in that state of their victim mentality, he tells them lies that they're primed to want to hear so that they will then give him power. Who does that sound like? Satan. That's the way the enemy of our soul works. He creates a victim mentality in our lives. Then tells us things that we want to hear. And in return, so many of us give him power that is not his to begin with. And we have to be really wise to this strategy because real people today, not just Satan, real people today all over the place are trying to do this to us. You've heard the term fake news, right? That's what Absalom's spreading here, fake news. <laughs> right? We need to vet the truth. When you see something on the internet, when you see, you've got to vet the truth. Where did this come from? What's the source? What's the full story? Why? Because in this situation, Absalom's going to spread this lie, and before the truth has a chance to get its foot out the door, the lie has gone around the world. And that's true today. And if we're not careful, we can get emotionally invested in half-truths or 100% false narratives that will get our lies knocked off completely off of course or in this case, support a leader for the wrong reasons, Absalom, and therefore not just put poor leadership in place, but maybe morally inept leadership in place that only knows how to stir a mob. That's what we're seeing in Absalom. We have to be committed to truth as those who follow Jesus so that when the world shakes around us, we have such confidence in God's truth, and when the enemy would like to create an, a victim mentality in us, we could say, no, that's not who I am in Christ, and he can't take advantage of what he thinks he's, he's doing to make me feel. We've got to be so confident in the, of that, in the goodness of God, and we sang it today, and I love that we're going to sing it again, because everything hinges upon whether or not we believe that God is good, and when I finally got to the place where God could tell me, that's why Absalom's in the wrong place. That's what's wrong with him, is he doesn't trust that I'm good. Because if he trusted that I was good, he would not be taking matters into his own hands and making things worse and lying and using deception and making other people feel like victims. It's not God's way. And so when I wrestle with this and go, what's wrong with Absalom? He's only trying to stand for justice. Maybe that's true, but he's doing it in a way that expresses no faith in God to actually get things done. And the way God would want this to be done, he would want to see justice, but he'd also want to see David and Absalom restored. He'd want to see that family restored. He doesn't want to just have sweeping justice across this world. He does, thank God. And in a lot of ways, that should 
Put the fear of him in us. But he doesn't just want that. He wants to restore you and I in the process. That's God's way. But the way Absalom's doing this shows no faith in God to do it the right way. And that's the problem with Absalom. Right? And we need to be in a place where when the Absaloms come in our life, that we would fight for the truth with intensity. See, Pastor, I don't always feel like God is good. Me neither. But my feelings are not always right. You gotta go by what you know, not just by how you feel, right? And when I don't feel like he's good, I remember that regardless of my feelings, which are tainted by my broken nature, that God is good, and I'm still learning what good means. See, Satan would like us to believe, like Absalom was doing, he would like us to believe he's the king of this world so that we'll just give it up and hand it over to him without a fight, right? Think that he has more power in this world than God does. And that's not true. That's what Absalom, when Absalom chooses to operate in this strategy, it's evil because it's the strategy of the devil. And this is how events in life, if left unchecked in your heart, can blind you. And this is Absalom's issue. He's trying to find justice for his sister. He's been deeply wronged. He wants justice. And he's doing it himself. Do you remember what David did, though, when the king was trying to kill him? When the king gave him a wife and then gave his wife away to another person? Of all the things that we read in 1 Samuel. And then he had an opportunity to kill the king. And everyone said, David, you should do it. Why aren't you? This is it. This is your opportunity. What did David say? I'm not going to touch the Lord's anointed. And again, in that situation, I'm going, David, just do it, man. <laughs> like, I'm just being real here. Just do it. But that's why David... Even though he's messing up royally right now, David is a man after God's heart. Why? Because he believed and he still believes in spite of how bad he's been that God is good. And it informs those kind of decisions and leaves room for God to work. Some of you haven't seen God work in your lives for so long because you keep taking matters into your own hands and you leave no space for God to do work. And this is what God showed me when I, when I said, God, what's so bad about Absalom? Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, the word of God is living, and it's effective, and it's sharper than any double-edged sword, penetrating as far as the soul from spirit, joints from marrow, able to judge my thoughts and intentions. And he says, Mike, Absalom didn't believe I was good. Do you believe I'm good? Do you believe if he hadn't done those things, I would have handled this differently and it would have been better? There it is, right? Living and active. When you engage the word of God, he'll answer you, <laughs> right? And there are those moments when it feels like the Holy Spirit puts his finger right here on your chest and says, do you believe I'm good? 
<laughs> it says here that in verse 11, 200 men from Jerusalem went to Absalom. They had been invited and were going innocently. They did not know the whole situation. Absalom was lying to them. Whole other message can be preached about people walking into things innocently these days, not knowing any better, but we won't. Verse 12, while he was offering sacrifices, Absalom sent for David's advisor, Ahithophel, the Gilanite, from his city, Gilo. So the conspiracy grew strong, and the people supporting Absalom continued to increase. Just a little side note here, Ahithophel is Bathsheba's grandfather. So he pulls one of David's advisors, Bathsheba's grandfather, the one that David had an affair with and had her husband killed, right? Here's another victim. And pulls this person close, and these people help him spread this conspiracy. And there were many people who went in innocently, not knowing what they were getting into. And this is, again, why we have to fight with intensity for the truth because the same happens to us when we are not wise to the enemy, right? The same thing happens to us. What should have been Absalom's response to this injustice? Or rather, what should he not have done? He may not have had this example. He certainly had the knowledge of God, but when we look at Absalom, we see a contrast here between what our flesh, the, our humanity wants to do about injustice and how God handles it. Absalom suffered injustice, yes. Who else suffered injustice in the New Testament? Jesus. Perhaps far more injustice, actually for sure far more injustice than Absalom suffered. Absalom pretended to be a righteous judge. Who else in the New Testament is actually a righteous judge? Jesus. Absalom stole the hearts of the people. Jesus paid for the hearts of his people so they could be made new and clean. Absalom spread spreaded fake news about his kingship. Jesus brought the good news about the real kingdom and how the real king was coming and now is here. Absalom wanted his will to be done. And like I said, at surface level, we're kind of like, what's wrong with that? He wants justice. But Jesus said, not my will, but yours be done. Even if I don't understand it, and remember, Jesus was 100% human. So he was facing down the cross, and he's saying, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, even though I don't understand this, this amount of suffering I'm about to go through for nothing that I did wrong, the separation, that's your will, and if that's your will, let it be done. That's his attitude, not Absalom's. Absalom betrays the king with a kiss in the last week's passage. Jesus is betrayed with a kiss. And when we don't trust in the goodness of God, we're the ones giving him that kiss. Jesus is good. 
So many people, many people say, God is so good, why? Why is there so much injustice in the world? You may have heard this before. You know, if soap is so clean, why are there so many dirty, smelly people in the world? Because they're not using the soap. (laughs) God is good. All the time. But he doesn't steal hearts. He'll receive our heart if we give it to him, but he lets people run amok without him because he will not steal it from them. And that's why there's injustice in this world. And sometimes the reason why it carries on is because God's will is to save that person. Not zap them dead. And thank God for that. Amen? Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for your goodness. You are good, God. You are always good, and you've always been good, and you will always be good. That is unchanging, and we can trust in that goodness, and we have an enemy in in our lives and in this world that would like us to question that all the time to the point where when we go through hardship, we will take matters into our hands and give power to him instead of you. And this morning in this room, if anyone's in that situation, you're speaking to their heart, they're here to hear this word, and you're calling them out of that. And you're saying, I am good. Do you believe I'm good? And that's one decision away from freedom. I can only imagine what would have happened in Absalom's life if he had that epiphany because someone came to him and he was open to listening, that you're good, how much would have changed? Would we be reading a story of reconciliation? Would things be set back on track from where they were? We'll never know. But we have this opportunity. Your word is a mirror to our own hearts. It's alive and active. And you don't show us this to say, this is your doom. You show us this to say, this doesn't have to be you. With your eyes closed for just a moment and your heads bowed, you say, Pastor Mike, I've given power to the enemy in my life. I've allowed, I've I've got, I've really allowed a victim mentality in my life. It's, by the way, it's really hard to admit that. I want to acknowledge that right at the beginning. It's really hard to admit that because maybe there really are some real injustices and admitting that you're giving into that mentality is also perhaps a commitment to lay down arms and just let it go. I know that's hard. But maybe in doing that, you make room for God to do something. And you say, Pastor Mike, that's me. I've given into that and I've given a foothold to the enemy of my life. Would you pray for me? Just raise your hand if that's you. Amen. Yeah. It's really easy to do. It happens so subtly. He's just sitting at the gate of your heart. Well, maybe if God would take care of this, I'll take care of you. Anyone else? You say, Pastor Mike, I believe in my head that God is good. But this morning, if I'm being honest, I don't really feel that in my heart. And I want to, I want to, I just want God to touch me, touch my life today so that it could be real in my heart. Amen. Already hands going up. Say, that's me. Would you pray for me? I know, I know he's good, but I'm not feeling it. And I just want to, amen. 
I just want him to touch my life. I sing the words, all my life you've been faithful. I sing them in faith. But Lord, would you align my heart with those bits of knowledge today? Anybody else? If you were encouraged by today's talk, be sure to rate us, share with a friend, and hit subscribe on Spotify, iTunes, or wherever you stream your podcasts. Our mission is simple. Come to life, connect to grow, find your purpose, make a difference. Thanks for listening to the Life Church Podcast.